Good morning, Gold Avenue Church. This is Pastor Jalisa, and I am delighted and honored to be preaching what will hopefully be our last exclusively online sermon. Next week, obviously, our sermon and liturgy will still be available online, just as they have been. But next week, we also have the opportunity to come and gather together in person and to hear the word of the Lord physically together again. And I know we're all so excited. And yet, this morning, even as we're gathered together, not in body, but in spirit, the Lord has such tremendously good news for us today. This morning, we're going to be drawing from Thought Unit 22 from the Gospel Tool, which says, Restored Relationship. True faith in Jesus brings us into the most glorious inheritance. Adopted as dearly loved children of God the Father, all guilt and shame are washed away as we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Filled with his spirit and united to him, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our entire inheritance is rooted in Jesus' perfect performance and not in our own. This grace produces a joyful willingness to reject sin and grow in true devotion to Christ. This morning we'll also be drawing from this thought unit, but I'll be preaching from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. But before we hear from the word of the Lord, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the gift of your word. We thank you for the truth in it and for the way that it is living and active. God, we thank you that your word examines us. It convicts us and it shapes us and it grows us as we listen to it and as we sit under it and are obedient to it. And Lord, we thank you that your word is just so good. Jesus, we ask that this morning you would use your word and the preaching of it to help us understand more of what you died to accomplish for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come with power, that you would equip and empower the preaching of your word, and that you would empower the truth of your word to be planted deeply in each one of us and to bear abundant fruit. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept, guarded in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer Grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks be to God for his word. I know I said that we were going to hear some good news, but I don't know that any of us think of trials as being good news. This is a very small trial, but I recently purchased a sweater. Now, the sweater that I purchased was one of my favorite colors, and it was made of super soft yarn, and it had these really cute buttons on it, and it fit perfectly. The sweater promised to meet all the needs that I could ever have when it comes to the perfect spring sweater. And to top it off, that sweater was on sale. So I wore this sweater for the first time to a family gathering for just a few hours. But when I got home, I noticed that there was this small dust smudge on it. So I dug inside for that little tag, you know, the one that tells you how to wash it. And I followed the instructions and I threw the sweater into the washing machine. When it was finished, I pulled the sweater out of the machine and after it dried, I was so excited to be able to wear it again. But as I pulled it on, I realized that there was a great big snag and a two-inch round hole on the edge of my right sleeve. Ugh, I was so disappointed. Probably a little more disappointed than a human should be about a sweater, if I'm being honest. This is very much a first world problem, I am aware, but I was really upset about this sweater. So I took it and I tossed it into a bag and I brought it back to the store. I took it to the return line and when it was my turn, I explained to this nice employee what had happened. Now, given that I'd worn it and washed it, I honestly didn't think that she could do much about it. But friends, can you even believe it? This wonderful employee took my worn, washed, ripped sweater back and she gave me a full and complete refund. She handed me my new receipt and she said, it's part of our return policy that we don't leave customers with faulty products. Hmm. As I thought about what she'd said in this surprising exchange, I couldn't help but think, man, what if that applied to everything? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a guaranteed return policy on all things bent and broken? What if we could just take broken systems, broken bodies, broken situations, and broken hearts back to some counter somewhere to be restored and refunded in full? What if there was just absolutely no tolerance anywhere for faulty products? The early church that Peter was writing to in our text for this morning had been given a tremendous gift. They'd been given the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the promise that because of Jesus' death, they were no longer dead in sin and transgressions. They were no longer subject to all that sin had birthed into this world. 
They had been promised that because of Jesus' resurrection and because of his willingness to unite himself with them by his spirit, that they had been given the gift of new life. And yet as they looked around, there was still so much death. In the years that followed Jesus' death, the Roman Empire was continuing to seep across the world under the leadership of a deranged emperor named Nero, whose hatred for Christians was beginning to simmer. Sure, they'd been told that there would be suffering. They knew Jesus had suffered. Jesus himself had told his disciples that they would be persecuted. These early Christians had said that they'd be willing to suffer, and they meant it, but had they really bargained for an unhinged emperor who literally hung live Christians on crosses and lit them on fire as party ornaments? Was all this really worth the ostracism from society, the burnings, the crucifixions, and the beheadings? Where was this abundant life that had been promised? In a world riddled with persecution, it would have been easy for the early church to start to wonder if they hadn't been given a faulty product. They had been promised this superhero cape of a gospel, and yet somehow that cape seemed to have a hole in it, and it wasn't flying high like they may have hoped. The reality is, when what we experience does not seem to add up to what we've been promised, doubt can start to creep in, and faith can begin to dwindle. The gospel of Jesus Christ promises so much. It promises new life marked by healing and freedom, restoration, justice to the nations, joy unspeakable and peace unfathomable. It promises us love like we've never known before and purpose beyond anything we could ever imagine. Real, true, abundant, glorious life. And yet... Even though we are not yet being violently persecuted for our faith in this nation, the world around us can feel more like death and less like life. Every day we face or we hear about corrupt leaders and systems, racial tension, chronic sickness and discomfort, bills that never end broken and strained relationships, depression, fear, anxiety, self-loathing, persistent temptation, unmet hopes and expectations, diseases that refuse to be cured, lives that are taken too soon, and division that just can't seem to be mended. These are just a few examples But if we think about it, we are surrounded by so much sin and the death that it brings. We can be tempted to wonder where, where is that relentless love that was promised? Where is that hope that's not supposed to die? Where is the healing, the restoration, the freedom, the reconciliation? Where is this new life? When our lives are marked by trials, 
we're at risk of buying the lie that life only happens after we die. And if we believe that, it's not hard to start behaving like we're dead. It's not hard to forget that we have already right now been given new life. And this is precisely what Peter did not want the early church to forget. And so in the midst of their trials and persecutions, he sends this very important letter. And we're just going to walk right through these opening verses of it bit by bit. Because what Peter has to say to and about this early church is staggering. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter proclaims. Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Praise God, Peter's saying, this isn't about you or what you did. This is about God the Father's mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus. We didn't earn any of it. We stand in Jesus' perfection because of God's mercy. We've been given a living hope that will never die. And there's more. We've been born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, what on earth does that mean? It means that our full inheritance will never fade or die because it is not God's policy to leave us with a faulty product. This inheritance is held safely in heaven. It is literally guarded where it cannot be destroyed. And in the meantime, we are by faith being shielded by the very power of God until Jesus comes again to reveal the full weight of this glorious inheritance. We are literally being preserved and prepared to receive all that God has promised. In all this, says Peter, you rejoice greatly. You literally leap for joy, even though you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Wait a minute, what? Why would these early Christians who are being violently persecuted be leaping for joy? Peter answers the question. These trials came so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's drawing on the image of gold. So think about faith like a giant unrefined nugget of gold. With each and every trial that the church persisted through by faith, a dross, that's a word for an impurity in gold, was being burned away. And in that process, more of this promised inheritance was being revealed in mind. The persecuted believers were walking through their persecution by faith and the sufficiency of what Jesus had accomplished. And because of it, 
They were filled with unexplainable joy. Peter goes on to explain more. For though you have not seen him, you love him and you believe him. You have faith in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving. You are now receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, Peter's saying, you have not forgotten that you are alive And by faith, you are not living as though you are dead. When trials have come your way, you have believed that they have not been dealt with on this earth, but they have been dealt with by God's power, even though you did not know Jesus in person. And even though you have not yet seen that solution. Still, you have not forgotten that the resurrection of Jesus Christ lives in you. You're no longer dead, but alive. Christ himself and his victory are united with you. And churches, you have remembered that. And as you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the stench of death has been fading away. And it has been replaced by the inexplainable joy of the Lord. By faith, even now, you are partaking and your inheritance in heaven. It's mind-blowing. Somehow, some way, all the sinful, dead, faulty pieces of this life have already been fixed and refunded in heaven. Jesus has already paid the price for each one. And together, God the Father, Son, and Spirit are in the process of fixing what's broken and distributing full refunds to all who believe. God has done and is doing all the work, and the only responsibility left to us is faith and obedience. Faith is believing that what God says is true, even when we don't feel like it's true. It's believing even when we can't see that it's true. Faith is putting our trust in God and his promises. And faith is evidenced by our our obedience to him and to what he says. The great theologian Charles Spurgeon once said that trials are the great honor of faith. What Spurgeon is pointing out is the reality that trials not only give us an opportunity to exercise faith, Trials strengthen faith. And as we exercise faith in the face of trial, we are preserved by God's power. And those trials give us divine opportunities to take hold of our heavenly inheritance. Maybe you've had this experience if you think about it. When a trial of conflict comes... When we walk through it by faith, we trust in God's promises. We obey what he says about conflict. We repent, we honor, we forgive, and we bless. And when we do that, suddenly we find that bitterness and disunity have been removed from our hearts. And there's an inexpressible peace and the fruit of unity left in its place. When a trial of financial burden comes, 
when we walk through it by faith, when we believe that we serve a God who promises to provide, when we are diligent asking for his provision, and suddenly we'll find that fear has been seared off of our hearts and peace and provision have been left in exchange. When a trial of rejection or personal failure comes, when we walk through it by faith, when we believe what God says about us and not what we feel about us, when we trust that our value is found not in our own achievements or failings, but in the perfection of Jesus, suddenly we find that all that self-loathing and doubt and shame, it's gone. And in its place, we have this profound sense of being loved by our Father in heaven. And from the security of that love, we can repent, we can learn, we can reconcile, and we can grow. When a trial of impossibility comes, we can walk through it by faith. We ask God for his healing or his provision, whatever it is, and we believe that he is good and that his plans are good whether he answers today, tomorrow, or in heaven. And somehow... The fear or the doubt, whatever's at play, it's washed away. And we're able to face extreme and even painful circumstances with a strange and even irrational sense of peace. Friends, this is the evidence of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that though we may not see it today, every single trial on this earth was dealt with at the cross and at the resurrection of Jesus. The truth is that heaven already has a solution for every single problem that you and I have or will ever face because of Jesus. And since God gives and joins himself to us now by his spirit, that perfect inheritance begins here and it begins now. It's no wonder Peter made a point of reminding the persecuted church that they'd been given new birth into a living hope. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul proclaimed to the Corinthian church that if anyone was in Christ, the new creation had come, the old was gone, and the new is here. And it's no wonder that the first thing that Jesus said to the resurrected Lazarus was take off the grave close. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we are no longer dead. We are not wretches. We are not stuck in sin and in the brokenness of this world. We are no longer threatened by the trials of this world. We are loved. We are safe and we are secure. And we have a glorious inheritance in heaven that we are being preserved and prepared to take hold of. And we do not have to wait around to die to taste it. We get to taste it every time we believe what the word of God says, rather than what the world says or the circumstances say. We get to taste our inheritance every time we believe what God says, rather than how we feel. We get to taste our inheritance every time that we, by faith, agree with God and walk in obedience to him. Praise be 
to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into this amazing living hope. Amen.